This is Plant-Based Briefing, To Zoo or Not to Zoo, by Greta Datton at vegansustainability.com. And I'm Marian Erickson, and this is the Curated Content Plant-Based Podcast, where I narrate articles on plant-based, compassionate, eco-friendly living with permission in about 10 minutes or less every weekday. And today's article is from Vegan Sustainability Magazine. It's a free online quarterly magazine for vegans and non-vegans worldwide who are interested in the environment and sustainability. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. To Zoo or Not to Zoo by Greta Datton at vegansustainability.com Internationally, news of the Non-Human Rights Project case has been circulating. Non-Human Rights Project has been working to secure the release of Happy the Elephant, an Asian elephant born in 1971 who has been isolated in an extremely small enclosure for decades at the Bronx Zoo. The case could potentially have far-reaching implications as it could result in certain non-human animal species gaining legal personhood. Born Free has also recently launched a campaign to ban the keeping of elephants in all zoos, as elephants are highly intelligent, emotive, and social creatures who typically would enjoy vast habitats in the wild. There has arguably never been a better time to talk about the future of zoos. There are typically two main assertions which most arguments for the continued existence of zoos fall under. The first argument is that zoos help members of the public, particularly children, to develop empathy for animals and therefore are worthwhile educational and empathy-building institutions. The second argument is that zoos contribute to conservation efforts by breeding threatened and endangered species and therefore are important ecological and conservational institutions. This article will briefly consider each of these lines of argument. Zoos as Educational and Empathy-Building Institutions The argument typically goes that zoos help children connect with animals and learn about the natural world. It follows, then, that zoos are essential to fostering empathy between children and animals, and losing them would result in subsequent generations growing up without the same connection to nature. Although this article is too brief to fully explore this argument, one cannot help but question the quantitative information which these claims are based on. How does one quantify and measure the empathy which a child feels for animals before and after visiting the zoo? Is a survey done directly after a zoo visit, or are the individuals surveyed regularly for a decade after their zoo visit to determine its impact? Surely, if this is the argument which is used to justify keeping millions of animals in captivity, it should be supported by extensive, rigorously reviewed, and unbiased quantitative data. In reality, the data does not exist. Lori Marino criticized the glaring lack of data in a recent article, stating, quote, We've been viewing elephants in zoos for decades, yet they're on the brink of extinction. In fact, a mass extinction event is underway despite the fact that hundreds of millions of people have visited zoos and aquariums. The model just doesn't work, unquote. The very concept of developing empathy for animals via zoo visits is arguably inherently flawed. As far as I'm aware, there are no studies which link a frequency of zoo visits to, say, adopting a plant-based diet, or on the other end of the spectrum, committing animal abuse offenses. In fact, I'm not aware of a single zoo which offers solely plant-based foods. Zoos arguably are teaching children to objectify different animal species in different ways. 
They send the message that exotic animal species can be kept in captivity to provide entertainment for humans, while other animal species can be consumed as food. Also, the keeping of animals in captivity, not to mention forced breeding of animals, is inherently speciesist. Animals held in captivity in zoos are in enclosures which are significantly smaller and less dynamic than the environments they would enjoy in the wild. Oftentimes, these enclosures ensure that zoo guests can see the animals as much as possible, thus compromising the animal's privacy. Animals who, in the wild, may never see a human being are virtually unable to escape being watched and yelled at by hundreds of zoo-goers every day. Respect for the animal's dignity is comprised, and he or she becomes little more than a prop used to entertain and generate revenue. Zoos as a Tool for Conservation Efforts When arguing in defense of zoos as a tool for conservation, the fact that zoos breed threatened and endangered species is often cited. What is often less cited is the fact that baby animals generate significant amounts of revenue for zoos, and husbandry is therefore a focus for many zoos. Zoos around the world, in fact, are so focused on breeding their animals that it is a common problem for zoos to have a surplus of animals. These surplus animals are sometimes placed in other zoos. However, this is not always possible. Instead, according to Kleinman, Thompson, and Bear, in their book Wild Mammals in Captivity, Principles and Techniques for Zoo Management, selling animals to dealers is a common practice, and there have been many publicized cases of zoo animals ending up at animal auctions, roadside zoos, and other substandard facilities. Essentially, these animals are sold to private zoos, circuses, and petting zoos, not quite the coordinated conservation effort that zoos claim to be undertaking. What are other options for zoos with a surplus? Another popular option is warehousing surplus animals at the zoo. As the term suggests, warehousing implies that the areas in which animals are maintained are less than optimal. From Kleinman, Thompson, and Bear. The final option for zoos? Culling. The culling of surplus animals is controversial, yet still commonplace in the industry. And as Kleinman, Thompson, and Bear write, killing healthy animals because they're not needed for breeding or exhibition is argued by some as logical and responsible management to conserve resources for other animals and or to prevent animals from being transferred into situations that may compromise their welfare. Only a few years ago, the Copenhagen Zoo shot Marius, a healthy bull giraffe, in the head and then fed his body to other zoo animals because he was deemed to be surplus. However, this was not an isolated incident, as the practice of zoothanasia is commonplace. Why are these animals disposed of when they're deemed to be surplus? Because they cannot be released into the wild due to having been raised in captivity. This would suggest that the entire argument forwarded by zoo proponents that zoos conserve animals is false. It is obviously a false claim that institutions which strip threatened species from their native environment, traffic them internationally, force them to breed, display them to the public for years, and then call them as soon as it makes financial sense, are somehow providing an important conservation service. Alternatives to zoos There are places where surplus zoo animals can go to live healthy, fulfilled lives. These are animal sanctuaries. Sanctuaries provide formerly captive animals with wide expanses to explore and express natural behaviors. Animals who live in sanctuaries are able to interact with one another and live their lives without being constantly watched by humans. They are, as near as is possible, free. 
Those who want to see animals from around the world and who want to develop their child's connection to nature can visit sanctuaries, animal rescues, and nature reserves. In doing so, they are not only supporting important and actual conservation efforts, they're also teaching their children that animals have inherent worth and deserve to be free, that they are not non-sentient objects intended to be used for an afternoon's entertainment. Another alternative way to experience wildlife is to spend time in nature. Seeing wild animals, no matter how small, while on a walk, hike, or camping trip, makes the animal encounter extremely memorable, exciting, and significant, especially for children. Those who are truly invested in helping their children to develop empathy for animals and a sense of wonder for the natural world should know that it takes much more than an annual trip to the zoo. It takes years of education and exposure to build an affinity with nature. If we as a society want to encourage a connection with nature in the next generation, we should focus on expanding outdoor education efforts, including resourcing class trips and outdoor education specialists. Not to zoo. If anything you have read in this article has made you want to take a stand against zoos, there are a number of things which you can do. Aside from refusing to patronize zoos, you can educate yourself, your friends, and family about the reality of zoos and how they compromise animal welfare to generate profit from visitors. You can also support NGOs which advocate against animal captivity, such as Freedom for Animals, Born Free, and the National Human Rights Project, or NGOs which support animal conservation efforts, such as Wild Aid or World Wildlife Federation. If you remain unconvinced, you're welcome to try seeking out the data which supports claims made by zoo proponents. You may also want to reflect on the merits of an ideology which allows for an animal to be used purely for entertainment and then summarily disposed of. You just listened to To Zoo or Not To Zoo by Greta Datton at vegansustainability.com. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson. And if you're interested, there's another episode I've done about zoos from Bite Size Vegan. It's episode 281 called Our Zoos Educational. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And please share this episode with anyone who might benefit. And thanks for listening.